Well, good morning. If you don't mind, we'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us together here on this beautiful Sunday morning, Father. And just, Father, I pray that you just uh, prepare our hearts and minds as we get ready to study your word. Father, we're thankful for the literature that you have provided to us through Paul Washer, Father, as we study who you are, Father. And today, Father, we're going to be looking at manifestations of your faithfulness, Father. And I pray as we look back through Scripture, as we study this lesson, Father, we realize how faithful you actually are. You've never let us down, Father. You've always been the rock that we can lean on. You've never left us alone, even though there's many times we felt that way, but it's because we left you, Father. Father, please, please help us remember as we study your covenants and your love and your word and your works and even the Son, Jesus Christ, that we do realize how faithful you are. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So continuing on in our study in the knowledge of God, we're on chapter 25 this week, and we're going to be looking at the manifestations of the faithfulness of God. Why is God's faithfulness so important to us? His faithfulness proves that he is who he says he is. We're going to see that when God says something, he does it. We're going to see that when God says he is going to judge people, he is going to do it. As we look through the study, we'll see, even when we look through the scriptures we're pointing out, and if you read some of the prayers that were mentioned in the in the study, uh, when God decides he's going to judge a nation, when they've turned away from him, he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And that's part of the faithfulness of his word. And when he says that we can repent and turn to him, he will forgive us. We must understand that he is faithful in doing so because he said so. His word is true. God does not lie. So going on in our scripture, the scriptures are found abundant evidences of God's faithfulness to his people. And if they were recorded in detail, even the world itself could not contain it in the books that would be written, as Paul states here. However, we limit ourselves in this chapter to a brief mention of just four manifestations of proofs of the faithfulness of God. We're going to be looking at God's covenants, we're going to look at God's word, God's works, and the coming of God's Son. So looking at the covenants of God, what's so important about the covenants of God? And the best way to understand the covenants of God is to go back to the beginning. Genesis is so important as a believer. If we get Genesis wrong, we get everything wrong. God has made it plain and clear that he knows who we are. He knows our hearts better than we do. And still yet, even knowing how we are, he promised to take care of us. If you look back at the covenant he made with Abraham, it was a unilateral covenant. Remember, Abraham was asleep. God walked through that covenant alone. Why? Because we cannot uphold our end of the deal. God knew that. He put everything upon himself to provide us a means of salvation. And all we have to do is be grateful for his faithfulness and understand that we are to be obedient to his word and his word alone. Not to the world's, but to his word. Paul Washer goes on to say the word covenant is derived from the Latin word, which you can figure that out, but it means to come together. In the scriptures, the word covenant comes from, two Hebrew, from a Hebrew word and a Greek word that both mean covenant. So it's prevalent in the Greek and in the Hebrew. 
It's the same word. God comes together and he gives us his promise. And he proves his faithfulness by what he has done through scripture. When the Bible speaks of the covenants between God and his people, it refers to the promises that God has made to his people. Commitments that he has obligated himself to fulfill without fail. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, we read, The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. Pay attention to what he's saying. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Some mighty words. Moses here is describing the covenant faithfulness of God. And he asks us, uh, Paul's asking us to summarize the truths that are revealed in this text and then explain how they apply to believers throughout all generations. Well, we see that this text, uh, that God will choose who he wills to choose. He chooses his people. He doesn't choose based upon stature. He doesn't choose based upon our social status, by our race, or by our works. God chooses who he wills to choose. He is God. He is the creator. And we see also that God keeps his word. He has promised Abraham that he would bless his children. God has not forsaken his word, and he has kept his word even until today. As, God, as God's chosen people, we are no longer slaves to sin. The bondage that we're, we were under is no more if we truly believe in Christ. Just as the example of his, children chosen, his chosen people that were under the bondage of Pharaoh, God had delivered them from the bondage of living under this godless man of Pharaoh. And just as a reminder, we must remember that Pharaoh thought he was a god, Remember? as well as many did, did many Egyptians back then. But God proved him to be nothing but a mortal man. Even when you look back at the time they was under slavery, every plague that they went through was an attack on a God that they believed in. But it was not God himself. God is saying, I am God. There is no other gods before me. And he's proving it to us in Scripture. God keeps his word. Now note this in your text. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Do you notice that? To those who love Him and keep His commandments. God's salvation and kind dealings with Israel were just the result of the promises that, made, that He made to Abraham. And the other patriarchs. The fact that God was still fulfilling his promises even after hundreds of years in spite of his people's unfaithfulness is a great demonstration of his faithfulness. There is no measure to what his word contains. When he says, I'm taking care of my people, what does God mean? He's going to be there for them. The second thing we'll look at this morning under the covenants of God 
During the, the dedication of the temple, King Solomon prayed a lengthy prayer, extolling the faithfulness of God, found in 1 Kings 8, 22-53. I, I encourage you to read that prayer. King Solomon goes in great detail of he's calling out specific sins. And then he asks God to remember when they turn and repent to please listen to what they're saying. But they do it with their whole heart. Solomon's got an understanding how we are. But in uh, verses 23 through 24 in 1 Kings 8, we read this. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Solomon knows that God is faithful. This is evident by his prayer. He understands that God is faithful to those who respect him and obey him. And we're reminded in Solomon's prayer that we are all sinners. If you read the entire prayer, you will see in verse 46 one of the specific areas that Solomon prayed for the current generation and for the generations to come. He says, when they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin. What did he say? There is no man that does not sin. And you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of an enemy, far off or near. And if they take thought in the land where they had been taken captive, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. How many times do we want to admit to God that we've done wrong? How many times do we try to hide things from our parents? It's easy, right? He goes on to say, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive and pray to you, toward you, their, to the land you have given them, to their fathers, to the city which you have chosen, and to the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Paul Washer goes on to tell us, although Solomon is referring specifically to the covenant that God made with David, the same can be said of all of God's dealing with men. In all things, he has shown himself to be a God of his word. He has not given us one reason to doubt that he will remain faithful until the end. The third thing we look at under the covenants of God, according to the following text, how enduring is the covenant faithfulness of God? Is there any possibility that God will never renege or default on or fail to honor the promises that he has made to his people? Explain your answer and how it should impact our lives. In Isaiah 54.10, we read, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now listen here, our physical environment may change, and most of us know that sooner or later it will. That is one thing that we can all count on. Time is always moving forward, and it's very unforgiving. Whether we like it or not, nothing on this earth stays the same other than stress, death, and taxes, right? 
But God is never changing. He has made a promise to his people and he will always keep it. Our eyes should be constantly fixed upon him and not on this world. I mean, just look back within our own community in the past 10 years, how the landscape has changed. Our town has been bypassed, right? We had a storm come through and it changed the whole outlook of the town. The old shopping center's gone, right? And who remembers the old water department with a mirrored glass? Right? It changes, right? Everything changes. But God is always the same. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37. We read, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who steers up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Wow. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. And then we read in Jeremiah 33, verses 20 through 21. We read this again. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night, so that the day and night will, no longer, will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levitical priest, my ministers. What's God telling us? He's telling us that his covenants are everlasting. He is the creator of the universe, and he is immeasurable. Continuing on in verse 22 of Jeremiah 33, God tells us this. As the host of heaven cannot be counted, and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who ministered me. God does what he is going to do, and he keeps his word. He has not changed it. God is faithful to his people. Now we're going to look at the word of God. The word of God... His promises and all that he has decreed is another great proof of the faithfulness of God. Not one word of all the world, all the words that the Lord has spoken has ever failed. Not one word that he has said has failed. God is faithful to fulfill every promise and carry out every decree. His word is faithful and worthy of our absolute trust because he is faithful, he is righteous, and he is immutable. So according to Joshua twenty three fourteen, at the very end of his long life, what did Joshua testify concerning the faithfulness of God's word? And how can these truths be applied to the believer today? In Joshua twenty three fourteen, it says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All I have been fulfilled 
all have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. When we look back at Joshua, we knew that even when they went over to look at the promised land, he's seen what the other spies seen, right? But he knew God kept his word. And he was standing up. We can do it. God promised. And what happened? People gave in to what they seen physically and didn't realize that God is true to his word. And even in their disobedience, we see that as they wandered in the desert for many years, that God kept them and sustained them, right? So God's word is proof that he is faithful, he is just. And he says if we break, his pun- break that covenant, break it, he, he will punish us. What do the following texts teach us about the faithfulness of God's word? And how should these truths be applied to a believer's life today? 1 Kings eight fifty six. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he has promised, not one word has failed of all of his good promise, which he promised through Moses' servant. God kept his word. He promised to deliver Israel from bondage, and he did. And he led them and protected them every step of the way, even through their disobedience. In Psalms 119, 89 through 90, it says, Forever, O Lord. Your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. God spoke us into existence. God has not failed at anything. God's word is true and he is faithful. I'm not a carpenter. And I can tell you most of the stuff that I've built ain't standing anymore. Right? But God created everything. He put the mountains together. He put the valleys down here. And he made the grass grow. and made the flowers bloom. He put water where it needed to go. He put me where I needed to be. He put you where he wants you. God keeps his word. And God is faithful. He has failed at nothing. One of the most important truths to be emphasized about God's word is its immutability. It's never changing. God's word endures forever, forever without change. What do the following texts teach us about this truth? What impact should this truth have upon our lives? Isaiah 40, verse 7 through 8. Isaiah 40, verse 7 through 8. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is a humbling image here. Or at least it should be. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. That's what the text says. Then it says, surely the people are grass. You know, the Bible tells us our life is just a vapor. We have our set time. We know grass grows and flowers bloom within their season. We each and every one of us have our season. We know that God is forever. And so is his word. What a humbling fact it is to know that God sustains us. And when he decides, he will take us. Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. This is a fun verse to study. 
But the point is, God's word is unchanging. You study this verse, you'll be up for hours. But God's word is unchanging. Jesus is now here, and he is fulfilling the law. Just as God had promised back in the beginning, back in Genesis. From the beginning until now, God has kept his word. He is faithful. And because of Christ, we don't have to live by the law. You remember what the penalty was for breaking one of the commandments, right? It was death. So praise God that he gave us a way for salvation. God has kept his word. God is faithful. So now we're going to look at the works of God. It's often said that one's works verify or annul the faithfulness of one's words. We've all been around two-faced people, right? Once a person, and this is the, 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 the thing that people remember the most, it don't matter how much good you do, you do one thing bad, that's all people remember, right? But when we look at the faithfulness of God, he has never failed us. Today, the world is teaching that God is wrong. We've got generations now that have grown up hating God. And they do not fear God. They do not, and when they do not fear God, they, do, they, they, they don't fear death. They don't understand about this place called hell. They don't understand the torment and the torture that you'll go through in eternity. In hell. Can you imagine? I'm getting old enough now today where I hurt pretty much every day. All right. And it's aggravating when we look and I'm thinking, I've got many more years of this. At least I hope I do. But I hope it gets better. (laughs) And to think about hell and how even the pain I'm going through right now is nothing compared what's going to happen in hell and people don't understand that and God teaches it plainly in the Bible but we must know that the works of God prove his faithfulness Uh, Paul says in Deuteronomy 32 right here when when we apply this proverb of God that his faithfulness is absolutely perfect as Moses declares in Deuteronomy 32 4 the rock his work his work is perfect and then in Psalms 33 4 is found a powerful declaration regarding the faithfulness of God's works. So what are the truths revealed in this text, and how should they be applied in our daily lives? Psalms 33, 4, we read, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So it's easy for anybody to say that, right? Well, I sought the Lord, but he didn't answer me the way I wanted him to. We must understand David here is leaning on God for deliverance. David is asking God for deliverance. And David is ready for whatever answer God is going to give him. And David understands that God is faithful and will answer his prayers. And as believers, we should find comfort in knowing that God hears our prayers. And we've got to remember, when we pray to God, we're not making demands. We're asking him to help.
And we've got to understand that he does answer our prayers. He always answers prayers. You just look back on your life and try to count how many times God brought you through a difficult time in your life. Maybe you're going through a difficult time now. Keep praying. Don't give up. God puts people in our lives for specific times. You never know what a person is going through. So if God gives you the ability to help somebody, you may be an answer to that prayer. Now look back on those who are dearest to you. How many times have someone close to you, have, how many times have they let you down? How many times have those close to you not lived up to your expectations? Have they ever failed you? Do they always do the things that you approve of or appreciate? Have they ever had an opinion or a different view than what you thought they should have? People let you down, right? I'm going to let you down. If you've been married to anybody any amount of time, spouses, husbands, and wives, do you ever agree with everything? <laughs> no word. Cricket, cricket. But we do let people down. We don't do it on purpose, right? We get caught up in the daily task of life, and we get tired and angry and anxious, or whatever the case may be, or hungry. In my case, hangry. Right? <laughs> But it happens, right? But God, it does not. God will not let you down. God is always the same. He is never changing. Paul says here in his notes, it's important to recognize the relationship between God's word and his works. There is no discrepancy or variation between the two. Even among men of integrity, there can be a difference between what a man says or promises and what he he is actually able to perform. That's pretty interesting, right? But God is both able and faithful to do all that he has promised. And Isaiah 25.1 has found a remarkable statement about the works of God. So summarize its truths and explain how the believer should live in light of it. Isaiah 25.1 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders. Plans from formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. We see here that God is our creator and he is our sustainer. We should hold him higher than anything else in our lives. And his works show us his faithfulness in keeping his word to us. Looking back on, on, on number three. Looking forward to number three. Like the text cited above, the following scriptures exalt the faithfulness of God's work, but with a special application to the life of every believer. What truths are communicated to us through these texts? And how should they instill us in us the greatest confidence? Looking at Psalms 133.8. Psalms 133.8. I thought I was doing good when I read this because I automatically went to Philippians 1.6 when I read this verse, but that would be the next one. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. When I read that, I thought of Philippians 1.6. But God, here, here, here we're seeing God created you for a purpose. He has a plan for you, so don't forsake him. We're on his time, not ours. In Philippians 1.6, it says, and I am sure of this. 
that we that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, God will complete what he has started. And God doesn't make mistakes. He has never failed. His covenant with his children is never changing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved and complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. God has started working us again. His works are unfailing, and we may fail, but he does not. And he has set us apart from the rest of the world, and we are to be as he commanded us to be until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ is coming. He is faithful to us. So finally, we get to the coming of God's Son. This is my favorite part of this lesson right here. The greatest demonstration or proof of God's faithfulness is seen in the coming of His only Son. From the very first chapters of the Scriptures, we find promises of His coming and the salvation that He would bring. And after thousands of years, all these promises were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To answer the question, is God faithful? We only need to look at His Son and what He did for us at Calvary. What did He do for us at Calvary? He took our sins. He nailed them to that cross with Him. Our sins died on that cross with Him. A lot of us tend to forget that. Are we still sinners? Yeah. It's easy to lose track, right? In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, is recorded what is commonly called the Magnificent, a prayer of Mary, the mother of Jesus, according to her words in verse 46 and 47 and verse, verses 54 to 55. How has the coming of the Messiah proved God's faithfulness? Well, in verses 46 and 47, we read, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. And then in verse 55, uh, 54 and 55, we read, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So here, Mary says this prayer, and I encourage you to read that prayer as well. After Mary meets Elizabeth. And the child in the womb of Elizabeth jumped with joy. Our text tells us that Elizabeth Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a prophecy that has happened. You go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 1. It says this is going to happen. And then Elizabeth makes a statement. She says, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Did you catch that? Many people think the Holy Spirit wasn't here until after Christ died. But no, here we are, right here. And she said, the mother of my Lord would come to me. Mary is still pregnant with the child Jesus. And Elizabeth is pregnant with another prophesied child of John the Baptist. She goes on to tell Mary... That when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped with joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her 
by the Lord. God is keeping his word. This reaffirms what Mary was told about her child. And then in Luke 1, 68-79 is recorded the prophecy of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, according to verses 68-75. How has the coming of the Messiah proved God's faithfulness? Looking at in verses 68-75, we read these words from Zacharias. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. God is keeping his word. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Now listen to this. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father. This is what God swore to Abraham our father. To grant us that we, his children, being rescued by the hand of our enemies from the bondage of sin and death, might serve him without fear. That we can go out and proclaim God's truth without hurting people's feelings and letting that bother us. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him, before God, not the world, not this congregation, but before God in all our days. That's some mighty words from Zacharias. We need to go back and study these people and their prayers. We need to reaffirm our beliefs. What do we believe in? Do we believe God's word is true? Do we believe that God will take care of us? He promised. Does he lie? No. What are we to be afraid of? Getting attacked on Facebook? A bunch of us worry more about the opinion of people than we do the opinion of God. Zacharias is acknowledging the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Of what God has spoken about. All the way back in Genesis 3.15. He was spoken about the prophets of old. He is even the witness of God's power firsthand, Zacharias is. He doubted what was told to him by the angel Gabriel about his own son, and he was made mute. And all he wanted to do, tell people that his son's name is John. In Romans 15, 8 and 9 is found one of the clearest explanations of how Christ's coming into the world is an affirmation of God's faithfulness to all men. Paul asks us to summarize the text and its meaning in our own words. Romans 15, 8 through 9. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. We've got to remember that circumcision was part of the law that they kept getting hung up on. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Jesus is the seed that was promised to Adam and Eve. He is the one that God told Abraham about. He is the one that Isaiah prophesied about. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he is the only one who is perfect, and he is the Savior of God's chosen people. 
Paul writes here, the word confirmed, again, comes from that word, which means to come together. Uh, to secure, establish, I'm sorry. The sending of God's Son confirmed all the promises that he made to his people in Israel. In verses 9 and 11, Paul makes reference to the Gentiles. Notice that Paul quotes various passages from the Old Testament. Where God promised to save the Gentile nations by sending his son. God also confirmed all the promises he made regarding the nations. God's word never fails. God is faithful. In 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20, we find one of the most beautiful and powerful texts and scriptures regarding the coming of Christ. What does this text teach us? And how does Christ's coming confirm God's faithfulness? In 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20, we read, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as the promises of God in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen, our truth, to the glory of God through us. What does that mean to you? All of God's promises to all of his people are confirmed and fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad God is faithful this morning? All right. That's a great lesson. Man, there's a lot of stuff that you, you tend to overlook. Y'all get a chance, go back and just read Luke chapter 1. And read them prayers of Zacharias. Read the prayer of Solomon. A bunch of stuff we forget. We read it one time and we forget about it. And, and, and pay attention to things that Solomon prays for. I mean, it's a long scripture, and he, he prays in detail. That's what we should do, too. We have any prayer requests this morning? No. Yes, sir. Who is it? Jeff Hurley. Jeff Hurley Hurley passed away with cancer. Who? I got to spend the day with my mom yesterday and getting her house ready for that new dialysis machine. They're doing pretty good. Just thank you for the prayers for them. Just ask you to continue prayers as they readjust to this new lifestyle. And uh, she's supposed to be meeting with a dietitian so she can get down where she can get put on the transplant list. So we'll be in prayer for that. Anybody else? We're going to pray for our mothers today, Mother's Day. What a blessing they are. All right, I'll close this with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning, Father. And Father, as we look back at your faithfulness, Father, I pray we never forget 
everything you've said and done, and even, even as we look back to the Old Testament on how you've delivered your people, how you provided everything that we needed. Father, even when there was no food, you provided food. When there was no water, you provided water, Father. Father, just looking back, even when we needed rest, you, you supply us with a place of rest and you give us the means to rest. Father, I pray that we learn to rest in you and lift as we lean on you, as David did in the Psalms, Father. We know that you'll answer our prayers. Father, I ask that, we, that you just uh, bless those we mentioned in the prayer request, Father. And uh, bless this hour to come, Father, for the preaching. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.